Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Genesis Gathering. I'm so glad that you've joined us. We have an exciting service planned for you this morning. Um, let me take just a moment and bring up something that I want you to be able to see here. Uh, let's, I want you to be sure that in your preparation for the service this morning, that you think about sharing this link to the live stream service. This is being streamed via our website, as well as our Facebook page. So let me share that with you here. You can go online to genesiscc.net and you can get the live stream there, or you can go to our Facebook page. You're probably viewing us on one or the other right now. Of course, we're always telling you that if you have problems with the Facebook page link or broadcast for any reason, you want to go over to the website version of it and you we just never have problems with it okay it'll be fine and you'll get all the content all right also the messages are always available our service is always available after the fact to be able uh, for you to uh, tune in later and watch or share it with a friend send them send them the link you can do all of that from our messages page. We have a guest speaker this morning that I'm going to introduce you to in just a moment. But first, before we do any of that, I want to share a song with you, Traditional Christmas Carol, Silent Night. Oh 
Hey, a little bit of glitch there. I apologize for that. We didn't realize, I didn't realize that I had turned off our Facebook feed. So if you've been trying to find us on Facebook, we weren't there for that song and our welcoming. Welcome to the Genesis Gathering. It's good to have you with us. Um, I want to reiterate something that I said a little bit earlier regarding being online. <laughs> we weren't online, but now we're online. So we were online on our, uh, on our uh, website, but we weren't online on our Facebook page. Hopefully you're picking up the feed now. Please share the link with others and let them know that we're there. I'm going to have Nina come in at this point, and she's going to share a few announcements with you before uh, we have a worship song, and then we're going to introduce our special guests. Well, I think maybe Nina's been held up, and so I'm going to go ahead and continue then. I want you to be aware that you can participate at any time by donating. We would love for you to be a part of this ministry. It uh, takes tithes and offerings in order for us to continue to function, to buy the equipment, to support the broadcast, do all of those kind of things. So I want to encourage you to go out to the website and you can click on any of the pages where you find the Give Now <clears throat> or Give Online link. Click on that and that'll guide you through it. You can also text to give by texting the word give to 720-730-8510. Put in the dollar amount and off you go. Now, if, if you're doing it for the first time, there'll be a couple of screens that you have to follow through to su submit some information. And then that'll be the last time that you have to do that. Anytime you text the word give or just even a dollar amount to 720-730-8510. 8510 will be able to receive <clears throat> your offering into the ministry here. Nina's back, and so I'm going to turn things back over to her now. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you at Genesis Gathering. And uh, sorry for the little slip up here. We're now on Facebook. I hope some of you I know are out there. Um, at Facebook to watch us each week. I hope everyone's getting hooked, connected in just fine. We have a very special morning this morning uh, as we worship together. As we worship together, even though we're not in person, we're still worshiping together. So I have a few announcements. Um, I wanna start with, uh, we have Christmas Eve in the parking lot at St. John's this year. If you could be there, we'd love to have you. And this is, of course, dependent upon weather and dependent upon that there's no further COVID restrictions. But our plan is to join St. John's with fire pits and carols in the Christmas story, 5.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve. If you can bring a fire pit, you come at 4.30 and the fire marshal will join us to give us some safety instructions, which is part of our uh, agreement with them to get a permit to have a fire, open fires there at St. John's so we can celebrate Christmas together uh, on Christmas Eve. Secondly, um, I want to mention that as far as food boxes go, again, all of this is in, in uh, uh, fellowship with St. John's. Um, today is the last day. If you have a family that you'd like to let us know about that needs a a food box, please give me a buzz, um, 720-878-3323, 
and we'll get their name together to uh, get food for them for the Christmas season. Secondly is a toy drive that goes towards the families of the Early Learning Center. And we are collecting toys, new toys only, please, uh, up till this coming Friday the 18th. They're at St. John's. You bring them to St. John's. And um, don't wrap them. Ages 1 to 17, obviously, if it's older, kids, teens, it's things like gift cards would be best. And uh, we've, we've been seeing, it's been so exciting there at St. John's this past couple of weeks as people have been bringing food and toys. And then there's also the Elmshaven giving that Vicki Paget, uh, the Lord led her to this, 139 residents who had no gifts uh, from the outside world there. I, they may have family members bringing gifts, but they'd had an angel tree with no, none of those gifts were taken. Well, within five days with Vicki's uh, leadership, this, all of those names, all of those gifts have been taken, and a lot of you played a part in that. It is so exciting. Our, our St. John's lobby area there is full of gifts and toys and food for all of this Christmas giving. And you can still participate uh, in the food drive or the toy drive if you'd like to. So uh, you can get in touch with me if you have any specific questions. But we're very thankful for uh, all the help for the 139 names. Of course, St. John's congregation played a big role in that as well. And what a blessing. Um, we would like to move into a time of prayer before we continue in worship and hear our message this morning. Um, you know, I'm very, the last few weeks as I've looked up scriptures in regards to praying, one of the things I've kind of connected with is the fact of when Jesus walked the earth and people would come to him, touch his garment, you know, ask him if he would help, come to him with sickness, whatever. They, they came to him and he healed them all. He ministered to them all. He took care of all the needs. But it's the coming to him part. And I think when we pray, you see, even though he's not walking the earth the way he did in the Bible times, and of course, we know he is walking the earth today, but that as we come to him in prayer, that's our saying, Lord, we need help. Lord, I want to touch the hem of your garment. Lord, I'm stretching out in faith. And he takes care of all the needs. This morning, our needs bring me to Isaiah 61, um, starting in the first verse. I'm not going to read it, but it talks there about the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That, and that me was a reflection of Jesus, as we found out in Luke when Jesus walked the earth, that these scriptures have to do with what Jesus has done for us. And um, there in Isaiah 61, it says he heals the brokenhearted. He comforts those who mourn. It says he will make them oaks of righteousness. And I, in my mind, at least part of that means that he will strengthen you. You'll be strong. You'll be rooted and grounded in his love. And you'll stand strong as an oak of righteousness, no matter what it is you're going through right now. And we do have some needs. Uh, our dear extended Genesis family member, he's been participating via Facebook for months Roger Montoya passed away this week. Uh, we're very sad about this, and we want to pray for his family and that they would find comfort in Jesus, and especially during this holiday season. 
which also brings me to praying for many and our many people we know, many people we don't know who are isolated this Christmas season. People who are in hospitals, people who are in nursing homes and facilities and can't see family. And then, then there's every year's uh, sense of isolation for people. And maybe people who have experienced loss. Uh, holiday season is very difficult. All the fires that have taken place, especially in Colorado, but we could name a number of states and the loss that people have experienced in the last months. And here we are, and it's all heightened in the holiday season. And and I we want to pray for them, for not doctors and nurses on the front line who've been at this for months and months and months and still have a long ways to go. And even safety for all those who are involved in shipping and storing and administering the new vaccine. That's a very big deal. And I want to pray for all of that. And then last but not least, I heard from Pastor Barb this morning. And just this morning, her dad is having some health issues and they are trying to make decisions right this minute uh, whether to call uh, for emergency uh, help for, for an ambulance or whether they can get in home. So let's pray for all of these things if you would pray with me. So we do come to you, Lord. We come to you, Jesus, and stretch out our hand to touch your garment, and you're right here. You're not far away. You're right here with us. We come boldly into this throne of grace, and thank you for your help. Um, Father, we thank you that Jesus came to comfort those who mourn and to heal the brokenhearted, and so for Roger's family, for all those who have suffered loss in this year and in this season, and as we're in this holiday season, for those who've suffered loss through the fires or through COVID or for other reasons, Jesus, uh, we thank you for your comfort. I pray for each one of them. We pray for each one of them to experience this God, their God, to experience you as a comforter that they can be rooted and grounded in your love and hold steady even though times are difficult. We thank you for healing the broken hearts, Lord. We thank you also for making provision uh, for those who, this is COVID and fires and have whatever has uh, taken property or finance, financial, increased financial needs. We thank you that you're their provider and that you're, present and making provision for each one. For the doctors, the nurses, the frontline people, we pray for safety. For those dealing with the vaccine, especially, I mean, I'm focused particularly across the United States, um, and I we pray for safety for all of those involved, Lord, for strengthening the doctors and nurses as day in and day out. They work with uh, extra heavy loads of patients and as they deal with very serious situations keep them safe lord jesus themselves keep them safe from these from covid-19 father these are big big requests but i know you're a big big god and i thank you for all of your help in this time of need we love you so much jesus we thank you for all that you have provided we trust you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
offer to a king What weight or worth could be held within my offering When he alone is worthy A glory song is inscribed upon my heart This treasure held in an alabaster jar I break to bring him all the glory Praise God from whom all blessings flow Sacrifice could be equal to his own. The cross of Christ has declared that there is not I owe. Yet I know I owe him more. Great.
Well, it's good to be back with you, and I hope that you uh, enjoyed that song. Give me just a second. I want to check a couple of things here as we prepare to bring our guest in. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you uh, if you saw the hand of God move there while Nina was praying, and it, it positioned her microphone so that you could hear her more clearly. Praise the Lord. Uh, <laughs> We have a special guest who has joined us for this morning's talk. His name is John Master Giovanni, and he is, of all things, my friend, and uh, one of my dearest friends. So now I, I have to look here to talk to the audience, and I have to look down here, <laughs> John, to see you. But uh, hey, say something. I I'm, I, I uh, hope that you're on. That I'm everybody an, can I'm hear you. Similar. I'm not able to monitor you right now. Uh, but okay. uh, I, I think Nina's going to be able to. So forgive me if I'm talking over you. No problem. I am uh, in a similar boat, looking this way to talk to the audience and looking uh, around over here to see notes and <laughs> the screen and and the cameras, uh, the, the the video. So. Well, so, I'll do my best to stay focused here. Thank you, John. Hey, I, I want to introduce you a little bit further, okay? So sure. uh, everybody, first of all, I've known John for almost four decades. He's been in our life. He's been in our pulpit. We've been in each other's homes. We've sat at meal together. Uh, we've cried together. Um, we've loved well. And God, he, he's a speaker. He's a pastor, he's a father, a husband. He travels internationally, and he's an author. I'm not sure if I said that yet, of a book called, actually several books, numerous books. Uh, I've lost track, but one in particular that's really been making some waves internationally and changing lives, changing churches, moving the church of now forward is called the Melchizedek. Melchizedek. I'll let him tell you more about it. But anyway, I'd invited John to speak at the guys gathering on our Thursday evening, this, this past Thursday evening. And he just took about 15 minutes and brought up a subject that just blew me away. I, it's not actually the first time I don't think, John, that I had heard you uh, mention that subject and bring up those illustrations. But there was something about it Thursday night that just struck me that was so relevant, so powerful. And, and I walked away, everybody, I had comments about it from the, from the guys, first of all, telling me how blessed they were uh, by it. That's number one. And then secondly, I, I was unable to get my mind off of it the rest of the week. And so here it comes to, to Saturday, and I know this is late, preachers hate this, but uh, I, I called John and I said, brother, uh, would you be willing, it might have been Friday night late, but uh, would you be willing to take what you ministered to us on Thursday night, just expound on it, give, give more of a full message and sermon on this thing, because I know it's going to go out there and hit Facebook and, and hit uh, the body of Christ that, that watch us. And it's going to really bring some transformation. So he said, yes, I'm so glad he's with us today. I'm going to turn it over to him. 
and uh, let's let's see what God does and and what He says here. John, I'm going to relinquish the screen completely to you. Well, thank you. I love you, Jeff and Nina, very much. Genesis family, I am truly honored to uh, be asked to share. I hope I'm as good as uh, the guy on Thursday night that shared. <laughs> um, and I guess we'll just get into this message, but I was just going to ask you to just briefly pray with me uh, from the standpoint of kind of clearing our mind maybe of things we've held on to, uh, things that we've believed, et cetera. I'm not saying to throw out your beliefs, but I'm just saying to kind of suspend it for a moment and maybe hear something from another angle that may resonate within you um, to a point where transformation and enlightenment can occur. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Father, I thank you that we are already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, that when you speak to us, you speak to us from that place where we're seated. So, Father, I thank you now that we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive from that place so we can live your life here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to share my screen with you, if that's okay. And... Um, let me make sure I have the right screen up. <laughs> Let's see if that's it. I think that's the screen. Okay. What we're going to title this today is Reality and Our World. Now, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a famous psychological picture here known as the old woman and the young woman, also known as, <laughs> no kidding, my wife and my mother or my mother-in-law. It's created by a British artist by the name of William Hill, and uh, it was first released and published in 1915, but originally actually was made by a German anonymous artist that uh, William Hill kind of perfected it a bit. It was, uh, if you look at this picture, and if you've seen it before, you know where I'm going with it, but if you look at it, you can possibly see an old woman. I don't know if you can see my cursor on, my sc on the screen, but... You see this large nose here, her mouth, she, her eyes looking down in kind of a uh, furry coat with her hat and a scarf or hat and scarf or her hair and scarf here. And then at the same time, if you look again, you see a young woman looking over to her right. And there's her nose, her eyes, her ear, it's part of her chin necklace, her too wearing a hat and scarf. Um, the thing is, is if you look at it, you could see the old woman. Then if you kind of blink your eyes, look at it again, you're going to see the young woman. And the thing is, is you're going to keep flipping back and forth after a while once you've seen it between the old and the young woman. And eventually what's, what happens is we kind of choose which one we like to look at better. And that becomes the first thing we see. Although sometimes very rapidly, we can flip back and forth. And the reason why we can't see both at the same time 
is because we live in a world of duality. We live in a world with the book of Genesis calls the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's either or. Uh, it's very hard to surpass that frame of thinking because this world system is made up of that. And that's why it's so hard to see both at the same time. Your mind is constantly making choices. Well, um, enough of the world of illustrated facts uh, and, and art for a minute. Let's go to a, the real world for a second. Now this here is a picture of what looks like a nice uh, dirt or sandy uh, area. And there's a, so a puddle of water maybe after a rain with some mountains in the background. Well, not actually, not, that's not at all what it is. Actually what it is, is a mirage. Uh, there's no water there. It's actually high up in the mountains. And uh, this is just off of the road. And what's happening is something's occurring where we're actually seeing water. Now, what that's called in mirage world is an inferior mirage. And many times we've seen these ideas of inferior mirages as far back as maybe when you were young. And just to tell you, sometimes I still watch them. Cartoons. Here's our good friend Bugs Bunny. How many times have we seen Bugs exhausted in the desert? And off in the distance, he sees palm trees with a lake and he runs toward it and then takes a flying leap to dive into the water because he's so parched. And he winds up hitting right into the sand, spewing it out of his mouth as he's trying to swim in the sand. And the thing is, though, is what we wind up doing is we say things like, well, his mind played tricks on him. There wasn't anything there. He was just so hungry. He believed it was there. And actually, that's not the case. Actually, even though technically something wasn't there, something was there. The challenge is how he was interpreting what he was seeing. Let's take this a bit further. In the next picture I'm going to show you, and I have it blacked out for just a minute, is what's called Fata Morgana. Uh, Fata Morgana is uh, an Italian for the French Morgan Le Fay. Uh, Morgan Le Fay was a powerful enchantress who favored her half-brother King Arthur uh, for a time and then became his nemesis. And depending upon the version of the story you read, you see some of the things she did. But the Fata Morgana was something that happened in one of the stories off the coast of Italy by the Strait of Messina opposite Calabria. I found it interesting that it was Messina and Calabria because my father's side of the family is from Messina and my mother's side is from Calabria. So here is the Fata Morgana happening off the coast of Florida. This is real. This is an actual video. And what I want you to see is, uh, first of all, what it looks like. It's a sailboat. And then what is happening, actually, there's, there's a TV commercial uh, that was being taped. And there's this big uh, Apple-like um, prop that's on, the, on this beach. Uh, and you'll eventually see the chair and the cable running with, uh, that goes into the cable box and all this stuff when the cameraman pulls out. But while they were taping, uh, they got done with the shoot. And the cameraman noticed this off the, out of the corner of his eye, so he turned and began to take this video. 
So here is your Phantom Morgana. Now that was real, a sailboat flying in the sky. Strange. Well, it's also called a superior mirage. There is a real boat there, but it's not exactly where you see it. And for that matter, it's not exactly in front of you on the water. That's where it gets strange. Here's another mirage, and I am going somewhere with this, so stay with me. There's a little boat over on the right-hand side and this huge boat, on, or ship even, on the left-hand side, maybe a tanker of some kind. Well, what's interesting, though, is the little ship on the right is significantly closer than the huge ship on the left, because actually the ship on the left is Mirage. There is a boat there, but it is so big, the Mirage makes it look so big, it's almost threatening. And... Uh, the next picture I'm going to show you, to me, is one of like the Fata Morgana that I showed you earlier. Uh, this one is equally intimidating because I, I've actually seen something like this. There's a tanker floating in the sky, uh, clearly above the horizon, significantly above the horizon, as uh, this group of folks were on a, a small ferry. And here's the thing, the way these work is they don't just stay there and go across the, the sky like they're sailing across the water. They fade in and fade out, sometimes quickly, sometimes very slowly, very phantom-like, like, like a, 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 a ghost ship, which now brings me to this point. Maybe you've heard of this ghost ship. Well, King Arthur was 800 years ago, but just 250 years ago, we were telling tales of the Fliegende Hollander, or the Flying Dutchman. And the Flying Dutchman was a, a, a Dutchman who was condemned to sail the seven seas in his ghost ship in the skies. And, then, and he was only allowed to pull into port once every year and be in port for 24 hours. And if, as the story goes, because of his grave sins during that 24-hour time, if he could find a woman who would love him unconditionally and genuinely, he, he would be considered for forgiveness. Now, of course, that's how these myths go. But the point I'm trying to get at, and keep in mind, of course, he was condemned by God until that and also captivated by demons. Well, the same thing with the Phantom Morgana that we saw earlier with the uh, sailboat. It was a witch, an enchantress, that was doing all these things. My point is this. There was something that folks were seeing. The catch is, by the time we get to the Flying Dutchman, is that these are the stories we told about what we believed we saw. And ultimately, that's where we're heading. Talking about reality and our world, the one we create. 
So this superior mirage can be frightening. So a scary tanker, it's the Flying Dutchman, all those kinds of things. But what actually is really happening? Like I said uh, to you before, this is something it's not really your mind playing tricks your mind is not playing tricks it's the issue about what we believe we see and here's the actual example of a inferior mirage which is like the water on the ground sun reflects off the tree goes to the person's eyes some of the reflected light propagates toward the observer while some toward the ground where it's refracted the refracted light results in an inferior mirage which appears to the observer as a reflection on the ground. And then if you want, we can just add the water. What the water is actually is a reflection of the sky. The point is, is in the world of physics, something is occurring. And yet we're seeing something that's technically not there. And worse, what are the stories and the beliefs we make up about it? Some of us say it's just our mind. It's not true. It's fake, it's not real. Others would run toward it like Bugs Bunny and dive in. The same is true with the Fata Morgana experience where the, the ghost ship kind of mysteriously appears in the sky and mysteriously disappears. Because actually most of the time they're just beyond the horizon, but because of the cold warm air uh, convergence and what, it ha what happens to light, it's actually a reflection so we don't see the boat on the horizon. And depending upon the mist, et cetera, it can even be more ghostly. We see it in the air. And again, what are the stories we're telling because of this? What myths, religions, and I'm not exempting Christianity from it. What are the things we've developed? And most importantly, how about the life that we live in? How about right now? Let me give you another example. Here we are. How many times you've heard this? He didn't have the decency to call me. She let me down by not helping. This is going to be another one of those days. You see, these are the stories we tell ourselves about what we think we perceive. Whether it's the Flying Dutchman or not having the decency to call, notice within them is a sense of right and wrong, judgments, and definitely certain conclusions, even if they're mythological at times. When we put these stories and perceptions together, they become our reality. They become what we believe to help us cope and make us feel secure. Rather than simply perceive without judgment or right or wrong, or to say it another way, see with life-giving clarity, which is very unsettling for our egos and in many cases too difficult for most of us. I mean, can you imagine if you lived from a life-centered perspective rather than a good and evil, right and wrong, judgmental perspective? You know what that first one would be on the left there? Not that he didn't have the decency to call me, it's just he didn't call. Don't know why. Doesn't matter. She let me down by not helping. No, she, she just couldn't help. Or this is going to be one of those days. Well, no, actually, it's, you know, Sunday. It's today. It's kind of strange. It's amazing how all this 
big life that I had, we have and these ideas just got reduced down to something so simple. But I think that's the point. In other words, our belief are about the acceptance of the stories we tell. And then the key is these stories, the stories of our memories. See, we really don't even remember what happened in the past. We remember the story we tell ourselves about what happened in the past. Even right now, folks, we have this stream of consciousness that's constantly going on and we're telling ourselves stories even maybe about what we're hearing and we're evaluating and judging. That could be truly a life-giving thing or it's just that serpentine ego of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil telling us what's right or wrong. Well, what's the point? The point is that the story we tell ourselves are to help us feel secure. We want to be right. We definitely don't want to be wrong. I mean, after all, isn't it ultimately even faith in God about being certain about what the truth is, being absolutely certain about life, being certain about who I am, being certain? Now, there's a whole nother message we can go on at that point and discuss trust. But before we do that, I'm talking about how we perceive reality. And let's face it, as Catherine Schultz points out in her book, Being Wrong, it's not really about being right or being certain. Our egos are, is just, they're, they're horrified with the notion of being wrong. So we strive to be right in everything. Isn't that true? Well, let's talk about a little Bible verse here. In John 9, 39 through 41, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, that those who see may become blind. Now that are long in and of itself is, wait a minute, what? And then it says, then, then those of the Pharisees who are with him heard these things and said to him, We're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Now think of that. The phrase, for judgment I've came into this world. Now first I want to uh, point out something. The Greek there is is krima ego eston kosmon tutan. This word krima is the word for judgment. And actually, throughout our Bibles, almost irrespective of translation, whenever we see the word judgment or condemnation, nine times out of ten, they're actually a series of Greek words. I think one study I did, you find there was about 10 different words in Greek for judgment that are actually used that we've reduced to one or two. So what is Jesus really saying here? Well, first of all, while that sounds harsh and looming for judgment I've come into this world, that's again, maybe how our egoistic tree of knowledge of good and evil things because there's that fear of, oh my God, am I on, am I on the wrong side of this judgment? Uh, is he going to judge me? Actually, the word krima means make a decision. Now, true, a judge makes a decision. But the issue here is not that Jesus came into this world system, that serpentine knowledge of good and evil. So those who see or don't see uh, are going to be judged, but actually so we can have a decision presented before us. Do we see? Or do we not see? And what are we seeing? 
Note he didn't say to make a decision to receive to receive him as the son of God, right? Most of us is, can make a decision for Jesus. Actually, he said, <laughs> I'm holding up a mirror. You make a decision about what you see. Now, for example, this is an interesting time. We were praying earlier about this to some level, but can you imagine having to make the decision? What about you? Are you 100% for this? That everybody should be mandatory that everyone get this? Or should it be up to our choice? We should have freedom and rights. The thing is, is if you've seen this already, you know where this is going. But if you actually read what was there, it says, I am 100% for mandatory vacations. How about you? But with the picture of the vaccination in the background, how many of us ran toward maybe a political stance or a point of view because it's so prevalent in our minds right now that we really couldn't see what was written right there? I know the first time I said I saw it, I thought uh, my friend who posted it on Facebook, I thought, uh, you are 100% there? I, I didn't sound like you the other day when we talked. And then I had to read it again. Well, there is another point. Jesus, as usual, is flipping the religious system and human reasoning upon itself. He then, when he's asked, we're not blind too, are we? Let me think of the, the Pharisees getting a bit shaken there for a minute. We're not blind too, up until this point. We're not blind. We know exactly what's going on. We're, we're holy people. We follow the word of God. We, we trust and believe in God and we do the sacrifices. We keep the commandments. We have the proper dietary uh, uh, life, you know, living the, these, these, the proper dietary commandments of, of the Old Testament, like in Leviticus, et cetera. We do all those things. We do it right. We don't do work on the Sabbath. We are right on. So surely we're not blind. We know what's going on. And then Jesus says this crazy statement. If you were blind, you would have no sin. What? I mean, even today, how many times we Christians say, say things like, well, the reason why they're sinning is because they're blind and they don't have the light of Jesus in their life. Well, according to Jesus, if they're blind, they wouldn't have sin. But then he adds, but since you say we see, your sin remains. Hmm. Think about it. In the world of Christ, being blind to sin is the way of walking in the light. As John says in 1 1, John, 1 John 1 1, right? Walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1 7, for God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Hmm. You could say this coming to true enlightenment is learning to what it is to be blinded to sin. Can you imagine that? How about this verse? Now, again, before I go to the verse, the story we tell ourselves or the illusions we choose to perceive all take place within us. And for that matter, physical reality ultimately is really a construct of the imaginations based on what we've all agreed upon together about what we believe. I mean, let's face it. Once we believe in, let's say, the Flying Dutchman story, 
we start to seek out because maybe the first time it's kind of frightening. You've seen some ghost ship or the situation out there is kind of frightening. So we start processing until we can feel certain about it. And then what do we do? We try to find somebody else that's had a similar experience and for them to agree with us. And before you know it, we find a group of people that all have seen something, mirage or an interpretation of something that we just agree must be the truth. And that's the real key. We become certain because we found somebody else to, else to agree with us. And it only infuses and empowers our egoistic perspective. See, because to really see, to really see reality, it requires humility and compassion. Then will the blinders be taken off. Here. Ephesians 5.14 says, for this reason, it says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now think of that verse for a minute. Awake sleeper. You see, most of us are dreaming our life right now. We really haven't awakened. We're dreaming with illusions, beliefs, concepts. And then he says, arise from the dead. And if you know, if you notice, he's not talking about dead in graves. He's talking about us living in death. After all, when you partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at the request of that egoistic serpent, what happened? God said, you'll surely die. Well, he wasn't speaking about physical death. He was speaking about losing consciousness of his reality. But when we awake, Christ shines on us. And it takes, it's kind of like a cyclical thing. He shines, so we awake. But ultimately, the choice is ours. We are forever standing before those two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, every moment of every day of every second. And we have the opportunity to perceive one and let go of the other or hold on to one and be unconscious of the other. Let me tell you a story. Um, there are two monks and uh, they're walking in this meadow. Maybe you've heard this story before. And as these monks are walking, uh, they see a young woman, very pretty, at the edge of the lake off to the side of the meadow. And she wants to cross to get to the other side, but she doesn't swim. And uh, she really needs to get to where she's going. So when the two monks arrive, of course, they don't know this. They ask her, hey, um, can we help you? And she says, yes, I, I need somebody to take me across the lake. So one monk right away says, no problem, I'll help you. And she jumps on his back, wraps her legs and arms around her, and he jumps into the water. The other monk, startled, he jumps into the water too, and they swim across. When they get to the other side, the monk lets her go. She gives him a big hug, a big thanks and then walks on. Well, the two monks start walking. And let me read you another scripture and I'm gonna come back and finish this story. Hebrews 10, one through two says, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, but not the very image. Remember Christ is the image and likeness of God, but not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Now listen to verse two. 
for then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. Well, let me tell you about these monks. As they continued walking on, one of them, the one that didn't carry the girl, was really upset. And he turns to me, says, Brother Monk, and says, how dare you? How dare you do that? That is against our vows. We shouldn't even be touching a woman, letting, let alone having her body so close to us. Her legs were wrapped around you. Her arms were wrapped around you. You felt her up close. How dare you do that? You violated our oath. And the other monk said, well, I was just trying to help her get to where she's going. And then uh, the other monk says, well, it doesn't matter. You violated the oath. And when we get back to the monastery, I'm going to tell our leadership what happened. And so the other monk said, you know, I carried that woman across the water and I let her go. Seems like to me you're still carrying her. Consciousness of sins. The illusion of the stories we tell ourselves. When we're conscious of sin, we are unconscious of Christ. Remember, in this world, it's one or the other. If you're blind to sin, guess what? You won't have any. That sounds crazy. Well, what about this? What about that? Well, consider Jesus before and then later on the cross. The religious community was in close religious relationship with the political community. That's a message in itself. Even after the governor, Pilate, said that he couldn't find any violation in that man, they still shouted, crucify him. This was planned and intentional. Right. We know there's a whole conspiracy that was going on. They paid Judas to betray him. We know the story. But finally, Jesus is on the cross. Notice he didn't say this. The father and I forgive you for being so wicked that you would crucify an innocent man, much less the son of God. No, he makes this statement. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wait a minute. They planned this. They even paid a guy to betray Jesus. How could you say they didn't know what they're doing? Because another way to say this would be, Father, they're unconscious. They're conscious of sin. They're unconscious of us and who we are. To make the point, when we're conscious of Christ, we're conscious of eternal life. We emanate the tree of life. When we're unconscious of Christ, we can call it being unconscious of divine reality or divine truth. Truth isn't knowing Bible verses. It's being an emanation of divine life of Christ. Now, understand when I say that. I say this at Oasis of the Valley, our church, and on occasion when I'm speaking somewhere, I will say this, and I'm going to share this with you, a thought. We need to be a Christ-centered people using the Bible as a tool not a Bible-centered people hoping and assuming Christ is going to be a result. Because when we look at our Bible, even though we read the words on the page, and in some cases when it comes to translation, we've got all kinds of problems there. 
but it's more so about the stories we're telling ourselves about what we're reading because they make us feel secure, as opposed to finding that place of total egoless humility and compassion. And the second we get there, believe it or not, the Bible changes completely. And so does our view of humanity and even ghost ships in the air or the stories we tell about ourselves, about our friends or about others or about politics or about religions. Here's, here's a point. Revelation 1-7, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. Now think of that, people are going to mourn because Jesus came. The book of Revelation, which has a whole nother topic as far as how we see it, the translations, etc. But I just wanted to show you this thing about people will mourn. Now, here's the savior. Here's the one who gave his life on the cross because of what we did to him. And rather than retaliate, he says, Father, they're unconscious. They're clueless about what's going on. They're so wrapped up in sin consciousness. They're so wrapped up in right and wrong, so wrapped up in their fears. If you go back and study, they crucified Jesus because they were afraid of losing what really was already lost. They were, they, the, the, Children of Israel at the time, they were, they were now occupied territory from Rome. They didn't even own the land and the, the temple that they had was built by a pagan. So Herod. So consider, but this is the lens we look at. All the peoples of the earth will mourn. And what is, why do we translate it that way? Why do we use that word? Why is that word there? Because it has to do with striking something. But, and, and the thing is, is like striking the breast, mourning, yeah, and there's part of us that says, yeah, that's it. Though people, they're going to see it. Then they'll realize what they did was wrong. Notice what I'm doing, because I'm not a, the righteous believer, right? Well, let me read this to you out of the Aramaic. Behold, he comes with the clouds. All eyes will see him, even those that pierced him, and all the tribes of the land will dance about him. Yes and amen. Isn't that amazing? That is totally fantastic at this point. Let me let me give you an idea where that comes from. It comes from Zechariah, and the writer of Revelation actually changes the phrase to First Chronicles fifteen twenty nine, which is Et Hamalek David Maraked, and Maraked is the word that's used there, which means to dance. It's the same word that it is used in First Chronicles fifteen twenty nine, where David is dancing about the um, the return of the ark into Jerusalem. We cannot be Christ conscious. In other words, have the mind of Christ, or as the apostle Paul says, being fully awake and seeing reality as it is until our egos, the serpent in our lives, is adjusted and minimized. Revelation is fleeting in other words, temporary, not to mention how we interpret the revelation we see. Are people going to beat their breasts in mourning when Jesus returns? Or is it going to be a fantastic celebration, even for those who are unconscious of him? What a wonderful day. We even need to change how we look at from an evangelical, fundamentalist, dispensationalist point of view what the return of Christ is. You think, well, what about all that stuff? I understand. 
but some of that, even how we've translated the Bible at times, some of the stories we've told because of how we feel. I don't know. When Jesus appears again, according to the Aramaic anyway, it's going to be a great celebration. According to that Hebrew word, it's going to be spinning and dancing. In Matthew 16, 16, you know, Peter has a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus responds that he received this directly from the Father. As a result, Christ pronounces that upon that rock of revelation, he was going to build his church. He's going to have his people in the world system be called out into his kingdom. But note, number one, Peter was not filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff yet. Didn't read the New Testament completely to finally understand what was going on. Peter had an encounter with the Father. Yet, no sooner does Jesus mention uh, that he will be killed, die, and rise again the third day, just five verses later, Peter rebukes Jesus, saying, This shall not happen to you. And Jesus says these words to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, first, I want to point this out to you. Note, he didn't say, get behind me, Peter. You are an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of Satan. Again, he didn't say, get behind me, Peter. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of Satan. Notice, first of all, the word mindful, cognizant aware but his, he didn't say you're mindful not mindful of the things of god but of satan but see this is how we do this is the illusion the story we tell we say that peter was mindful of the things of satan but actually jesus talking to peter says get behind me satan you're not mindful of the things of god but the things of men so think that through for a minute Being mindful of things of men really means to live in an illusion, a phantom. And then tell ourselves stories. Now, I understand life can be very cruel. And there are things that happen in this existence that are very painful and harsh. You know, for example, jumping ahead for a moment, um, I had a dear friend in ministry uh, many years ago out here in California, who got involved in a situation that really wasn't good. He shouldn't have gone there, but he did. And we have what we call a moral failure. And it was pretty bad. And the church was upset. There were a lot of controversy about what happened. And of course, he stepped down. Well, he worked on that situation with his wife, and they, their marriage was restored, and uh, on they went. The thing is, is that there were people who, five years later, when they would meet him, were still angry and upset and offended. Now, they said they forgived him. But what they wanted to hear right then and there 
and literally saying, you know, I've been had one person say, you know, he didn't even cry when he told me how he hurt me and that he wanted to wanted me to forgive them. I mean, there was like no remorse. Well, here's the point. He moved on. It's not that he didn't ask you for forgiveness, but he moved on. The tears were cried. The sadness was felt. The pain was lived through. And God moved them forward and rebuilt their lives. The problem is with this particular person, they were still stuck five years ago, just like our monks, still carrying it. The characteristic of our consciousness is measured by how present we are in the moment. In other words, how aware are we of the I am that I am, which is God, but it's also us because, as Jesus says in John 17, we're one. And guess what? We are one whether we're consciousness or not, conscious of it or not. What we have to do, and really that's the gospel, is awaken people to divine reality, Christ in them, the hope of glory. He's the source of our emanation. As Rabbi David Aaron says, he is the sun and we are his rays. The thing is, you can't be a ray without the sun, and the sun can't help but emanate rays because that's its nature. That's how this works. The thing is, is when we fall unconscious, when we lose sight of Christ likeness and slip back into sin consciousness, we're no longer aware of the I am, the eternal present. Rather, we condemn ourselves to, and to make us feel better. Many times we're condemning other people. And we do so into an immobile existence. They, like a photograph, are frozen in our minds with the evils they have done, becoming the past picture of our present and a projection of them in the future. That's why it's most shocking when a person whom we thought of the world of makes a mistake or seriously falls. We become shaken, stunned, and even angry. How could they have done that? Who do they think they are? How could they have done that to me? How could they have done that to us? Because our judgment of them wasn't with the life-giving awareness of the I am. Now hear me. But with the criticism of good and evil. We didn't see them. We saw the Fata Morgana, the story we told ourselves about them. Even if it's good stories, because they've blessed us and been good to us. So when they make a mistake, we're deeply hurt or upset. Like um, that friend of mine that had a challenge in ministry. Or the monks. The key is, is what is the stories we're telling ourselves? Rather than being present in the moment and emanating life. We didn't see them. We saw the story we told ourselves and others about them. How many times we see people with the story we have them really seeing them. See, Christ really saw us. And he didn't see us as miserable sinners doomed to hell if we didn't turn our lives around, get our act together, come to Jesus, and live out the Bible verses. 
what he saw was the image and likeness of himself in us. As a good friend of mine says, Jesus is not an example for us. He's an example of us. And we can go down that road, but I'll just briefly say this, because it sounds good. Jesus is an example for us. But when we say it that way, if you do a little word study there, that's implying what you can be rather than what you are. And it makes a dualistic comparison. Well, he is my example that I have to attain. But when Jesus is an example of us, it slightly changes the picture a little bit. And that's really what this is about. Reality. Getting rid of the phantoms and the stories we tell. How many of us came to Christ because we felt unworthy and miserable. And that he is this holy and righteous God. And if it wasn't for the holy and righteous God, you know, we wouldn't be saved. And the whole time from God's point of view is, there's my life extended through them. Now, granted, they've chosen because I gave them the right to choose and became unconscious and allowed the world of right and wrong, good and evil to live because after all, that choice had to be there. The thing that makes us like God is choice because ultimately love isn't love unless you can choose it. If you don't choose to love, it isn't love. If you're told you have to love and you get no choice, that's not love. God had to present a real genuine choice to us, to how we are going to see reality, to how we are going to perceive the world around us. It had to be legitimate for us to then be like him. We had to have the choice to love, emanate life, and give light. So it had to be real. So when we chose the other path, which, by the way, doesn't have to be a negative thing. Now, granted, sometimes going down the wrong way, as they say, um, can be a challenge to us uh, and seem to be wrong, sinful, and nasty. But many times in those moments when we wake up, we can really grasp the value of the choice we had. The point is we have to trust the whole way through. Let me try to wrap this up. The key is being present, really seeing the way we were created to see with the life-giving mind of Christ. This doesn't mean we don't see the negative or the horrific things that are some, uh, some may be doing. Rather than making a judgment, taking a mental picture of them, and immediately in our egoistic minds, that becoming their past and the future, we recognize also that and this, I think, is a key that we were not conscious either. Sometimes we were so sin consciousness, conscious ourselves, we didn't realize it. We weren't even aware of our own true self at moments. We all know this because all at different dimensions of, of awakening, we realize that, I mean, hey, I was that guy shouting crucify him at one time. Maybe at times. When I slip back into a sin consciousness, I don't even realize I'm back there again saying, I crucify. And I feel so certain and right doing it. The way to uncover life, the mind of Christ within us, or being Christ conscious is through humility and compassion. It's not about Bible verses we know, though that's helpful. Whether we know them in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, or Latin, but what we reflect and emanate. 
you don't have to consider being life-giving. You are life-giving. Well, wait a minute. You just told me. Consider this. You don't have a life. You are life. We didn't have a choice in coming to this existence. Rather, we are a creation of God. Then we were given a choice. You were existing life before you were even aware of an alternative called death or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the cool thing is, even when we became aware of that, it didn't change from God's point of view who we were. So he sent Christ to reveal to us that reality. Hope this is making sense. Even in our unconsciousness, we can awaken. And again, Bible verses, study, religious practice are good and can be helpful. But awakening to the reality of God comes through an inner place of humility and compassion. It doesn't come from how much information we know, the different languages that we can read in scripture, or what the theology has been of the past. Because ultimately, when we grasp all, those stuff, all that stuff together, we egoistically, egoistically tell us the story of how wonderful we are and how right with God we are. And then that usually implies that somebody else out there isn't. But in humility and compassion, we actually become blind. And then we really see. So if I'm going to leave you with a thought, what are the stories you've told yourself? What are the phantoms in life? Things that have really happened, things you've seen, but it wasn't exactly what really was there. And then we make these stories up and that becomes the reality we live in right now. And they, we are so certain about those things. We don't realize how unconscious of Christ we are within us, the kingdom within us. Many times we're trying to establish an external kingdom for Christ. Trying to establish external behaviors and laws and rules for people to live by because we think life will be better here. It's an illusion because unless we truly discover the reality of Christ, having no more a consciousness of sins, becoming an emanation of life through compassion, humility, we won't be able to touch anything on the outside because we haven't really seen it yet. We've only seen the stories we've told. God bless you. I hope that made sense. Uh, this is a different experience doing this way, uh, sharing at a desk. And yet all of you watching, I'm going to uh, disconnect my screen. Um, and I thought if there were any questions or comments, if we have time, uh, we can do that. If not, then I understand maybe you can email us, et cetera. I tried to compact a whole lot of things I've been writing and uh, teaching over the last several weeks uh, into 45 minutes or so. So So what I was saying, first of all, I just want to move to California.
I, uh, John, I just, I want to, <laughs> I want to move to California because I want to sit under your ministry and I just want to learn. Hmm. It, it, it's like, you know, it's like sitting under one of the old rabbis and I have somebody who wrote in and Thank said, Thank you for your uh, kind words. Let me see if I can find the, the message. Uh, the message pieces that I've heard of been in between phone calls because this individual is managing a, a near hospice situation for her parents. And she says, uh, I need to listen to it all. The pieces that I've heard in between all the phone calls have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, John, 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 John. We're dreaming. We're dreaming. And following Christ is about waking up. That's the key. Show you something here. That's the book, Melchizedek. You want to get this book. And you can write to John and let him know that you're interested in it. He'll get you a copy. John, is it available on Amazon? Oh, yes. Uh -huh. Okay, it's available on Amazon as well. That would be convenient for you. I'm going to put up a slide real quick uh, uh, that will let you know more about uh, Oasis of the Valley and John's ministry there. Uh, that's a good picture of you, bro. Yeah, I like that. I was a little heavier then, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So here's the deal. Here's John is so into planting seed into people's lives. John is so into loving people well, and um, and and he does it, and he does it in the most incredible way through how he teaches. And uh, so there's a little bit about John, the spelling of his name, so that you can look him up. Uh, Oasis of the Valley, the website there, so that you can get in in touch with them, and uh, or you can just reach out to me and Nina, of course. John, thank thank you. Uh, I just can't thank you enough. Thank you for coming thank on you. today, being with us. Uh, any everybody, if if you missed anything, if you're needing an address, if you want to get a hold of John, talk to him. Uh, our the pastor where we meet and where Nina is employed at the St. John's Lutheran Church, told us this week, he commented, somehow your book came up, brother, uh, in a conversation with him. And he, he's, he said, yeah, I, I started reading it this past week. I'm about halfway through. <laughs> That's I, cute. I just I felt a sinking feeling. <laughs> I was so disgusted that, that I can't read like that. I mean, this is this is worth your reading. You're not going to make it through it in two weeks. I promise you. Well, Wes like Dunbar, I said, if you are watching Pastor West from St. John, you are an anomaly. I agree. <laughs> but good one good news. Actually, well, everybody, we, we've been long in uh, just because I've been going on. But we love okay. you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being part of this broadcast. Uh, we need your support. If if you are being helped, if you're being touched, if you're being blessed, I, I want you to uh, 
send us some support so that we can keep this going for you. John, again, I love you, my brother. Thank you. You did this on the spur of the moment. I can't thank you enough. Uh, you are the apple of my eye. You are, you are my Kwanzaa. You are my, Kwanzaa. you are my teacher. You are my. <laughs> and with that, we're going to leave all you, all of you, to next week with, uh, with a thank you for being here today. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Okay. Right. Let you know you want the book. Love you. Right into us, and we'll get you help. John, thank you. Be blessed.